0: Good morning. Charles Osgood is off today. I'm Lee Cowan, and this is Sunday Morning. June has always been a big month for weddings, but never before has there been a June for weddings quite like this. The Supreme Court this past Friday upheld a constitutional right to same-sex marriage in all 50 states. A matter of dignity, supporters say, and a turnaround in public policy few could have ever imagined, even just a few years ago. Martha Teichner will report our cover story.
1: With Friday's Supreme Court ruling, same-sex marriage became a right in all 50 states. Less than a decade ago, the number was one. Why did it change so fast? Uh,
2: Because it happened and the sky didn't fall.
3: By the authority vested in me by the Constitution of the United States.
2: The
1: ruling and the rainbow later this Sunday morning.
0: Summer means some pretty short nights ahead, but that also gives us plenty of time to lighten up. Few summertime memories are quite as warm as the gentle glow of a firefly. And in Tennessee's Great Smoky Mountains, their show is so unique, it draws crowds like you wouldn't believe.
3: This is harder to get into than a rock concert.
0: (laughs) Those lucky enough to brave the dark find it all pretty hard to describe. Are they different than the fireflies in your backyard? Yeah. Like, way different? Yeah. (laughs) Chasing nature's nightlight ahead. You think it, I ink it. That's a saying among tattoo artists. And there's plenty of ink flowing these days, as Faye Saley will be showing us.
4: From taboo to trendy, tattoos have come a long way. Do you feel like in our general culture that tattoos are thought of as art? Yes, and so liberating. Later on Sunday morning, fresh ink.
0: Steve Hartman looks at attitudes toward gay rights then and now. Serena Alchul dines with a barefoot Contessa. Vanita Nair shows us a house on the move and more. Ahead. Love. I now pronounce you married. And marriage.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: A matter of dignity is how Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy cast his majority opinion upholding the right to same-sex marriage. Though Friday's decision invoked high constitutional principles, the case actually had its roots in a very human and a very personal crisis. Our cover story is reported by Martha Teichner.
1: A party broke out on the steps of the Supreme Court when its ruling affirming the right of same-sex couples to marry was announced. For the record, the case was called Obergefell versus Hodges, and in the middle of the noise and jubilation, Jim Obergefell got a phone call from President Obama.
2: Your leadership on this you has changed the country.
6: I really appreciate that, Mr. President. It's really been an honor for me to be involved in this fight and to have been able to you know, fight for my marriage and live up to my commitments to my husband. So.
1: Jim Obergefell and John Arthur had been together more than 20 years when they were married in July of 2013. Arthur was dying of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, so family and friends raised $13,000 to fly the couple by medical jet out of Ohio where gay marriage was prohibited to Maryland where the ceremony was performed legally aboard the plane on the tarmac in Baltimore. All Obergefell wanted was to be listed as husband on Arthur's Ohio death certificate. Because I promised John. As he told CBS correspondent Jan Crawford. It was
7: one more promise I made to him that I
1: would fight for him, I would fight for our marriage, wherever that led. Their sad love story, combined with cases from Michigan, Tennessee, and Kentucky, led to Friday's historic 5-4 ruling. And to Justice Anthony Kennedy's words in the majority opinion, they ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. The Constitution grants them that right. The thing about the
2: same-sex marriage issue is it wasn't started by the big gay groups. They hated this issue.
1: Andy Hum is a longtime gay activist and journalist in New York.
2: The, the big gay groups thought it was a big loser, and they were right in the beginning. Why did it change so fast? Uh, because it happened, and the sky didn't fall. People, it, it, the law changed, and what changed for people in their lives? Well, they just saw happiness for gay couples.
8: This amazing day has finally arrived.
2: Gloria and
1: Linda Bailey-Davies were married on May 17, 2004, the first day same-sex marriage licenses were issued in Massachusetts, the first state to legalize gay marriage.
4: And now,
8: by the authority vested in me, by the church and by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, I pronounce you legally married spouses.
1: Since then, how much the landscape has changed is remarkable, and how fast. Over the last two years especially, the number of states has accelerated, reaching 37 before the Supreme Court guaranteed the right to same-sex marriage nationwide. In 1996, fewer than three in 10 Americans thought same-sex marriage should be legal. Now, nearly six in 10 do. Among those who do not, 55% of Republicans.
0: I don't think most of us who have ever read the scripture would believe that there is a division about what marriage means. It's still one man, one woman, life partners. And the courts can no more suspend the law of marriage any more than it can suspend the law of gravity.
1: Like former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, every Republican presidential candidate has lined up against the Supreme Court ruling. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's response?
9: Amen! Thank
1: you! (laughs) Chief Justice John Roberts argued in his dissent that the issue should have been left to states, voted on, not decreed by the court. Just who do we think we are, he wrote.
3: Oh, we have to go obviously by what uh, the courts say, uh, but
1: I certainly can disagree with them, and I do. I, I think Alabama is, uh, Governor uh, Robert Bentley, Bentley I, I is willing to comply with the ruling, but there is resistance.
2: It's disappointing that Louisiana will not be following the movement that is happening around the country today.
1: When Michael Robinson and his partner, Earl Benjamin, tried to get a marriage license in New Orleans after the court ruled on Friday. They were told they would have to wait. Louisiana and Mississippi claimed legal technicalities. A law that violates the laws of God is no law at all. And in Texas Reverend Dave Welch of the Houston area pastor council vowed disobedience. I
4: believe There's no question it is by the thousands the tens of thousands
0: and the hundreds of thousands that will not bend the knee and we will not kiss the ring, we will not bow to the god of political correctness that seems to be dominating much of our court system today.
2: This is your homophobia, this is your fear, this is your, you know, your hatred of gay people and you gotta get over it.
1: Immediately after the Supreme Court decision, 85-year-old Jack Evans and 82-year-old George Harris, partners for more than 50 years, were the first gays to tie the knot legally in Dallas. An estimated 390,000 same-sex couples had already beaten them to it in the United States, raising this question. A generation from now, will gay marriage be a non-issue? Ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: All the gold in Fort Knox.
5: Don't
7: drop it on your toe. It's heavy, boys.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We're in the
0: money. Come on, money. And now a page from our Sunday morning almanac, June 28, 1935. 80 years ago today, the day the United States went for the gold. For that was the day federal officials disclosed a previously secret plan to build an underground vault for the nation's gold reserves at Fort Knox in Kentucky. Concerned about a possible enemy invasion, the Treasury's goal was to move billions of dollars worth of gold from coastal cities to a more secure inland location. Much of that gold came from the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia, where workers were filmed melting gold and fashioning it into bars. The transfer was completed in 1937, and with very few exceptions, the bullion has been out of sight ever since. President Franklin Roosevelt paid a personal visit to the stash in
7: 1943. In its vaults are $15 billion. While in
0: 1964...
7: The entire gold supply...
0: Moviegoers got a look at a fictionalized but reportedly fairly accurate view of Fort Knox in the James Bond film Goldfinger. In 1974, some members of Congress and a few news were allowed to take a look inside the real Fort Knox, at least in part, to dispel rumors that the bullion had actually been secretly sold off.
7: There it is. We're going to weigh
2: it. Don't drop it on your toe. It's
7: heavy, boys.
0: Today, the Mint tells us the bullion depository at Fort Knox holds 147.4 million fine troy ounces of gold. That would be worth roughly $170 billion on the open market. Though the Treasury officially values its hoard at just a fraction of that. By the way, don't ever ask to take a tour. The bullion depository allows no visitors and no free samples.
6: We're in the money. Come on, my honey. Let's spend it, lend it, send it rolling along.
0: Still to come...
4: So we're going to do, when God closes a door, he opens a window?
0: Yep. Trendy
6: tattoos.
0: And later, the pink flamingo. Never out of style.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: Many newlyweds say it with flowers. Others, though, say it in a way that's a bit more permanent. With ink. Here's Faith Salie.
4: This is my wedding bouquet. This is a really important part of my life, and it just reminds me of it every day. When it comes to body art, beauty really is skin deep.
6: It's only a couple hours of pain, but it's worth it.
4: Why is it worth it?
6: It's just the art.
4: Art that has made its way into galleries, museums, fashion shows, even the cover of The New Yorker. What made you... Want to make a documentary about tattoos? Well, it started off as a photographic project.
7: Outlaw bikers got tattoos. Sailors in Singapore got tattoos. Eric Schwartz
4: made a film about this very old and very new phenomenon.
2: It's estimated 15% of Americans have tattoos, and that number rises to 40%. In the age group, 26 to 40. I really found it fascinating, the sincerity of the people, how the imagery had nothing to do with what I thought.
7: By choosing images that celebrated their neighborhoods, religion, and loved ones, the Chicano people of East L.A. had a key role in elevating black and gray to an art form, a people's art form.
4: It's no wonder people seeking such personal and permanent art want to place their bodies in the hands of classically trained fine artists. You do oil painting, you draw, you do charcoal. Yes, the whole gamut. In 2009, Friday Jones opened Tattoo Couture, located on New York City's Fifth Avenue. I had seen a lot of my friends graduating college, and they still wanted to get tattooed, but we'd have to take them to a kind of a, an exposed street shop. I thought that they deserved a serene environment in a place where they felt safe to talk about spirituality, about pain. So you've been doing this for 22 years. What's the evolution you've seen in the tattoo industry? My clients are so much more fearless than they've ever been. Like care. They come up with all sorts of envelope-pushing ideas. Ideas like 3D tattoos, watercolor tattoos, even glow-in-the-dark tattoos. The inking industry generates more than $2 billion a year in revenue. But tattoos have been around for centuries. One of the oldest was discovered in the Italian Alps on a 5,300-year-old mummy.
5: His tattoos are all over places in his body that had evidence of things like arthritis. So they were healing tattoos.
4: Tattoo historian Anna Friedman says the art often reflects what's going Uh, on in broader culture. Which is why for much of the 20th century, it was soldiers and sailors exercising their right to bear arms.
7: The proud
2: memory of the Yorktown's fighting days inspires her crew. These tattoos tell the story.
5: Anytime we have a war, we get this desire of people to show their patriotism in a deep way.
4: A turning point for tattoos came with women's liberation.
5: Certainly women were getting tattooed in the 60s and 70s as a way of breaking out of this mold of the woman who gets told what to do.
4: And this man capitalized on the revolution.
7: I was in more panties than gynecologists because a favorite spot for ladies to get tattooed was inside the bikini line.
4: Lyle Tuttle is an 83-year-old tattoo artist often called the father of modern tattooing.
7: It was not my great artistic talents that got me where I'm at today, but I was in everybody's favorite city.
2: CBS News, without any flowers in its hair, is in San Francisco because this city has gained the reputation of being the hippie capital of the world.
4: As hippies swayed to psychedelic rock in the 60s, tattooing enjoyed a renaissance.
7: You had a tattoo, you you belonged to sort of an elite club.
4: And in that club... Tuttle emerged as the Grand Poobah, inking the likes of Joan Baez, the Allman Brothers, and Janice Joplin. It was her bracelet and heart that helped thrust the art into the spotlight. The spotlight also shone on Tuttle, landing on the pages of Rolling Stone, Life magazine, and the Bible of American Business.
2: Wall
7: Street Journal did a profile of me on the front page about a man that markets an improbable product. All of a sudden, the business world said, well, tattoos are cool.
4: These days, tattoos are a ubiquitous product. So we're going to do when God closes a door, he opens a window. Yep. Like Scott Eureka, more than 45 million Americans have gone under the gun.
7: All this is symbolism of the two most important things in my life, uh, my faith and my family.
4: And while tattoos have become a kind of fine art for the masses, they still come at a price, about $400 an hour at
2: Jones studio.
4: What do people expect from a tattoo artist today?
2: They expect works of art on their skin.
9: Ahead. And that's done. Now, how easy is that?
0: In the kitchen with the barefoot Contessa. Can't wait to
9: taste this.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: The barefoot Contessa may well be a celebrity chef, but simplicity is what she likes to serve up more than anything else. Serena Alchul takes us inside her kitchen.
4: Your time starts
5: now.
6: Good luck. Good
0: luck. In a
8: culinary age filled with die-hard competitions, Jason! Anthony, outlandish kitchen tools and crazy ingredients. Artichoke
0: liqueur and lamb heads.
8: One person remains unfazed and unaffected.
9: So tonight we're having a birthday celebration, and of course, you have to have birthday cake. So I'm making panko crusted mustard chicken, which is so delicious. Now, how easy is that?
8: Easy and tasty recipes are what Ina Garten, better known as the Barefoot Contessa, is all about. People are always drawn
9: to these kind of new trendy things and Mm -hmm. you just see them in not interested. I'm just not interested. I'm really not. I'm interested in really good ingredients that you've cooked to enhance them and that you can serve to to your family and friends in, like, a half an hour. Would you see this?
8: A wholesome attitude that draws millions to her award-winning show on the Food Network. And Garten recently came out with her ninth cookbook. Her previous eight have all been bestsellers. I'd like to just thank you for all the inspiration that you give me. I love you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Your name is mentioned around our house every single day. Aww. Ina Garten has achieved a cult following. Even Liz Lemon, Tina Fey's character in 30 Rock, fantasized about meeting the Barefoot Contessa.
9: Hi, neighbor. I'm Ina Garten. My husband Jeffrey is away, and I've got some bruschetta and white wine open. Why don't you come over? I'm alive! (laughs) But
8: being a food idol was not the life Garten had imagined. Born Ina Rosenberg in Brooklyn in 1948, she grew up knowing nothing
9: about cooking. Did you spend any time in the kitchen? I think it's the reason why I'm a cook, because I was never allowed in the kitchen. (laughs) That was my mother's purview, and she used to say, it's my job to cook and it's your job to study
8: which she did, majoring in economics at Syracuse University. At age 20, she married Jeffrey Garten. They
9: met when she was 15. Really sweet, kind, funny, smart, supportive, just everything you could ever dream of. (laughs) I mean, here we are 50 years later, and I... Just feel that much more about it. Hey, what you got? I'm making breakfast for us. You Jeffrey make- makes regular
8: appearances on her show. Ina makes the best s'mores more And played a major role in Ina's career. More on that later. In the 1970s, after getting her MBA, Garten became a nuclear energy budget analyst for the U.S. government. Yep, you heard right. So by day, you're working in the White House on nuclear policy. It still makes me
9: laugh. <laughs> <laughs>
8: it's funny. And, and by evening or weekends, you were diving into Julia Child.
9: I bought Mastering the Art of French Cooking, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, and then every evening, I would just work through that bo- those two books. And I really kind of taught myself how to cook. Or I should say, Julia Child taught me how to cook. One
8: fateful day in 1978, while reading the classified section,
9: something caught her eye. A specialty food store for sale in a place I'd never been before, in the Hamptons. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) Right. And I went home that night and I said to Jeffrey, I have to do something different. I really, nuclear energy policy is not me.
2: I felt really bad for Ina because she was very unhappy. And I said, uh, well, let's go look at it. Never, ever (laughs) dreaming.
9: Well, you didn't tell me that.
8: (laughs) Against better judgment. Garten took the plunge and bought the tiny shop in Long Island, New York, called the Barefoot Contessa, named after the
9: 1954 movie. My parents were horrified. <laughs> <laughs> but right. Jeffrey just said, if you love doing it, do it.
8: So she poured her heart and soul into the store,
9: often working 12 hours a day to keep things afloat. I was exhausted but exhilarated. And I would go home thinking, I have to go to sleep, I just have to go to sleep. And i go... I don't know, there's a chocolate cake that I really need to retest. And I'd be back at the store at 11 o'clock at
1: night.
8: The hard
9: work paid off.
1: She grew the business by giving her customers what they wanted.
8: Even Martha Stewart took notice.
9: Coconut cupcakes are one of the trademarks of Barefoot Contessa. It's a coconut pound cake with a cream cheese frosting and coconut on the top those same cupcakes still stand the test of time. And We have a frosting that's made with cream cheese, butter, confectioner's sugar, and I actually add vanilla and almond extract, so I'm just going to ice some what for I us. What I really like
8: about your technique is it's, you don't shy away no. from the frosting.
9: I really like that a lot. You well, make... isn't it, isn't it an icing delivery system, the coconut cupcake? <laughs> that's right. Today,
8: at 67, Garten has built a culinary temple in her barn devoted to her passion so this is the french
9: section okay this is the i use them all the time section a whole library filled with cookbooks use the blade have it go back and forth a kitchen just for her show a short walk from her house in east hampton i can't believe i get up in the morning i leave my house i walk to the barn and i get to cook with my friends one of the great gifts that you can give people is to cook for them
0: coming up a farewell to the father of the pink flamingo.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: It happened this past week, the loss of the leading light of lawn ornamentation. For we learned of the death this past Monday of Don Featherstone, an art school graduate turned plastic fabricator. Featherstone created ornaments of every description, from snowmen to Santas to fanciful animals. But he will be forever remembered for his acknowledged masterpiece, the Pink Flamingo. Created in 1957, the Pink Flamingo has ruled the roost for almost 60 years now. And what do you call these things? Our Bill Geist traded Pink Pink Flamingo lore with Penn State professor Anne-Marie Thigpen back in 1989 the
8: pink flamingo. They're not dead. They're alive
9: and well, aren't they?
0: Now, one time I knew an Illinois flamingo from a Pennsylvania flamingo. Those are two of the big manufacturers of them. I'm not real sure. You would say, you I, I, you're you the <laughs> expert on that. Certainly not me. From countless front yards, pink flamingos have also gone on to star on the silver screen. They graced if that's the right word, the opening shot of the 1972 John Waters cult classic, Pink Flamingo. Do you know what it's like to be trapped for 20 years? While the 2011 Disney animated film, Nomeo and Juliet, featured a talking pink flamingo, named Featherstone, in honor of its inventor. Featherstone, how's the other leg? I don't know, Featherstone, Member, Beloved by its fans, Banned by a few fussy homeowner associations, the Pink Flamingo won its creator a tongue-in-cheek Ig Nobel Prize back in 1996, which he and his wife Nancy accepted wearing their trademark look-alike outfits. Don Featherstone was 79. Next. It'll be completely dark. Fireflies. Close up.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: Although it may be easy to complain about the heat and humidity on a summer night, there's one sure way to lighten up. Just step out into the dark and look for fireflies, especially if you're anywhere near a certain park in Tennessee. Every summer... They pour in like a mountain stream. Over the hill we go. Uh-huh.
9: Y'all have fun. Bye.
0: Into the great smoky mountains of Tennessee. Bye. An unstoppable migrating madness. Hello,
3: sir. How are you doing? doing
0: Good. So many, the National Park Service has to monitor this wildlife to make sure it doesn't get too wild. It's
10: really a good Got show.
0: It. Thank you. Have very fun. Good. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. We followed the herd as they made their way to trolleys that drove them up a winding road to a remote campground where, rain or shine, they
10: receive precise instructions.
9: By 9 o'clock, voices
10: down, lights off, and we're going to see the best show ever. As the sun set
0: and the moon rose, we watched as they wandered off into the blackness, lawn chairs and flashlights in hand. Why are you sitting in the woods in the dark?
10: Because <laughs> <laughs> she told me you could do it.
0: Mary McCormick and her three neighbors drove yes. all the way from Knoxville to find this perfect just, place just that's under that's the over. pines.
8: Uh-huh. We've been laughing because it looks like people think there's a parade or
9: something <laughs> They're going down the street.
0: It all seemed a bit odd until, that is, the twinkling began.
9: Yeah, I see some.
6: I saw one. I saw one.
0: In the pitch black... It was as if the stars had come to settle in the forest. A silent symphony of fireflies by the thousands.
8: Oh, I can't see them.
0: A sight not easily captured on camera.
8: The whole forest is lit up like Christmas time in some crazy, (laughs) psychedelic way.
0: (laughs) Stumbling around in the dark, we literally bumped into Mary Lattimore and Naomi Yang.
1: What's so beautiful is sort of the darkness and then the brightness and the darkness. It's almost like the forest is breathing. You might have guessed these
0: aren't your garden variety fireflies. This species gathers in swarms and flashes all at once. We have them back home in Kentucky, but they don't have their act together. Synchronous fireflies, they're called, or as these bug-eyed fans call them.
6: Synchronous fireflies.
0: To figure out this strange phenomenon, we turn to the park's chief entomologist, Ranger Becky Nichols.
9: They'll all start at the same time and flash somewhat randomly, and then they'll all go off at the same time. So it'll be completely dark, and then they'll all start again.
0: Nowhere in the Western Hemisphere is there a bigger population of synchronous fireflies than right here at this tiny campground. Why here? Is there a big concentration of them here?
9: We think it's primarily because it's just prime habitat for them. This is where the fireflies are and the third door down is where most of them are. So
0: the scientific name for the synchronous firefly is Photinus carolinus, one of 19 species here in the Great Smoky Mountains.
9: We have a lot of specimens of this particular species. Oh, wow. This is the one that everybody comes to see.
0: Oddly, the firefly or lightning bug as many of us call them
9: isn't really
0: a fly or a bug. It's actually a beetle. So that's the lantern that's right there. That's the lantern. It's amazing that that much light comes out of something that small. Yeah, it
9: really is. There's no, almost zero heat produced. It's 100% light.
0: So they're way more efficient than a light bulb.
9: That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we could learn something from them.
0: So is it a form of, I mean, is this talking
9: in a way? In a way, yeah. Sweet
0: talking, to be more precise, because the firefly's flashing is all about getting a date. It's a mating display. The males flashing to the females, who then respond with a glow of their own. This volunteer, whose name is Glow, really it is, summed up the ritual this way.
9: It's typical male behavior. My light's brighter than your light, and I can keep my light on longer than you can, and the females pick out the ones that do the best job. (laughs) So it's like a singles bar, pretty
6: much. (laughs) It's like the Jersey Shore out here for for fireflies.
0: (laughs) Sean Ford came here with his girlfriend,
6: Kristen Blossom. It's like symbolic that males and females are finding each other out here and we're finding each other out here kind of on a date. (laughs) It's corny, super corny. (laughs) It's all very
0: G-rated, however. You ready? The Mays family's only problem was sticking to the rules. Unlike back home, no mason jars allowed here.
6: I usually grab them like this and I kind of peek and throw them in the jar. And then what do you do? We usually take them inside the house, put them on the table, and then go to sleep and watch them overnight.
0: Watching or catching fireflies is almost a rite of passage. Ranger Caitlin Worth says they're like little Pied Pipers of summer. And One of the things I love about this event is that it brings people totally out of their comfort zones. I mean, most of these people that come to this, many of them might not go into the woods during the daytime. And they're coming out just to sit in the woods in the dark. It's all very fleeting. Sadly, adult fireflies only live a matter of weeks, which is why the Garland family says, don't miss your chance to enjoy nature's nightlife before the glow is gone for another year.
8: We are so used to seeing man-made Wonders such as fireworks, which are awesome, but this has nothing to do with man, it's completely natural.
2: It's it's just incredible,
5: it's
7: really incredible. You just can't explain it to anybody, they have to see it. CBS reports the homosexuals will ahead you in a moment. Then, and now.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: Friday's Supreme Court decision recognizing gay love as a human thing marks a 180-degree turn from attitudes not so long ago. Steve Hartman takes a look back.
7: It's been nearly 50 years since CBS News first took on the subject of gay rights. It was in a documentary. You'll recognize the host, Mike Wallace, but you won't recognize your country.
2: Most Americans are repelled by the mere notion of homosexuality. The CBS News survey shows that two out of three Americans look upon homosexuals with disgust, discomfort, or fear. This was 1967, and whoever
7: named the program cut straight to the chase. CBS reports the homosexuals will continue in a moment. The show was so controversial, not one sponsor would touch it. In fact, the very notion of gay rights was brand new.
2: I'm a country boy, I guess, because I couldn't believe this. I mean, I didn't know this was a problem over here, or at least I didn't think anybody would have a sign out about it.
7: But for me, the most telling part of the program was a bizarre interview with a man shrouded by a house plant.
2: I don't go looking for homosexual relationships.
7: Apparently, back then, just admitting you were gay required some fairly dense foliage.
4: You are now husband and husband.
7: Now, of course, gay couples can show their love without so much as a ficus on the steps of City Hall with every network watching. I know that still makes some people uncomfortable, but they'll get used to it. In 2000, I was best man at one of the very first gay civil unions in the country. My best friend, Nicholas D'Ambra, and his now husband, Jim Bocklion, went to Vermont for the ceremony. Fifteen years later, they are happily married with two great kids. And when I look at this family,
2: all I see is love. We end as we began, with a homosexual.
7: So much has changed in the last 50 years. But one thing hasn't. At the end of the show, the guy behind the plant said something that could have just as easily come off today's satellite feed. It was a wish.
2: A family, a home, some place where you belong, a place where you love, where you you can love somebody, and uh, God knows I need to love somebody.
7: Love never was just a straight thing. As the court has now confirmed, it's a human thing.
0: Next, a house divided. Really?
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: During the summer months, more Americans will be on the move from old homes to new ones than during any other season. In another category entirely, Benita Nyer tells us are those who take their homes with them.
3: At Crystal Bridges Museum in Bentonville, Arkansas. How high are the ceilings in this
6: grand room? So close to 18 foot. Uh They're putting the pieces
3: of a giant puzzle together again. Scott Eccleston is is the the man in
6: charge. This is a home that if you grew up in Northwest Arkansas or the Midwest, this is the house that you would have built. And and so it was a house for all.
3: This house for all was designed in 1954 by Frank Lloyd Wright. It used to sit 1,200 miles off in Millstone, New Jersey. It was owned by architects Sharon and Lawrence Tarantino. After years of watching floodwaters threaten their beloved 1,700 square foot home, they asked the museum, to help save it.
2: Here, door hardware.
3: Every detail was documented.
7: Save that, number that.
3: Then the home was methodically dismantled and packed into two shipping containers.
6: The next time that I saw this house, you wanna talk about your heart beating, it's in millions of pieces. And in it, it, a house that was so majestic and, and 3D was all one level, wrapped in plastic, ready to be put back together. So you couldn't
3: even tell what was what?
6: No, you couldn't. I mean, that moment, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Um, can we do this?
3: Every year, an estimated 40,000 homeowners decide to do this, move a home from one location to another. It usually costs between 15 dollars and $45,000 to complete and takes anywhere from a few weeks to a few months though there are always exceptions. When you started this, how long did you think it would take? Two years. And how long has it taken? It
1: was 10 years.
3: You wanna ring it? I do. (laughs) Scott and Kelly Bradley bought their Westlake, Texas home on 130 acres of land back in 1977. It was designed by noted architect, Charles Dilbeck for Dallas newspaper publisher, Ted Dealey. Then in 1998, The Bradleys sold the land, but wanted to keep their house. One of the quirks is uh, not really knowing exactly where the front door is when you arrive. Preservation architect Nancy McCoy devised a plan to move it.
1: I really didn't think this was going to be a good candidate for a move. Why not? It's almost the length of a football field. So you immediately know it's not going to be moved in one big piece.
3: Neil McMillan, who calls himself the best home splitter in the country, agreed.
2: you got to put the right piece in at the right time.
3: He is a third-generation home mover.
2: And if it's done right and you put it back together, all you're missing is the sawdust of what the saw blade went through.
3: What's the hardest part about deciding where to divide it?
2: You want to do it where you do the least amount of damage. Closets is the best place because you can hide the sins.
3: McMillan says he used a saw blade to split the Bradley home into seven parts. But before he started, every brick from eight fireplaces and every stone from eight porches
1: was removed. We actually know how much this uh, living room weighs. It weighs 98,000 pounds without the stone
3: on it. Reconstructing and almost doubling the size of the home, using the same techniques as the original architect, is what took so much time and money.
10: The circles are where our daughters would get up and curl up and read their books. And they
3: said the Bradleys wound up spending $12 million to move their house just two miles. That was seven years ago. This spring, they put it on the market, telling us they're now ready to downsize. What do you hope the future of this house is?
9: Well, we hope it oh. uh, lives into eternity.
3: <laughs>
10: I hope someone buys it that will do what we've done, love it, share it with
1: the community. That's exactly
3: what motivates the folks at Crystal Bridges. Scott Eccleson says they're hoping to finish work by the end of the summer, with each piece fitting just the right way. Throughout this process, how many times have you heard someone say, y'all are nuts, just build a house that looks like the original?
6: (laughs) We've had the conversation. How much easier would it have been just to take the plans and build it from scratch? But every board that goes in, every nail, it's as if Frank Lloyd Wright was sitting in a chair at his drawing table telling you, this is why I did this, and that's how we built this house.
3: Knowing what you know now, would you have taken this project on again?
6: I would do this house a hundred times over because it's a real honor. Coming up, the Senate's
0: matchmaker-in-chief.
5: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: For singles looking for love and marriage, it isn't always obvious when it's a match. That's where the high-profile matchmaker Mo Rock has been talking to works a little magic.
10: With all the partisan bickering that goes on, it seems no one on Capitol Hill is getting along. Both houses are trying to block funding. So you went back and made it worse. But then there's New York Senator Chuck Schumer's office, which might as well be called the Love Shack. So far, 22 of his staffers have paired off. That's 11 marriages during Schumer's 16-year tenure.
2: There are two spins on all these Schumer marriages. One is we are the closest-knit staff on the Hill. The bad spin is we work so hard that they don't have a chance to meet anybody else. Schumer doesn't take issue with his
10: staffers dating. In fact, he endorses it.
2: When you get to know someone at work, you get to know the real deal, as opposed to when you sit down at a, you know, at a at a, at a restaurant or something on a date where everyone's nervous and saying, what are they going to think of me and all that.
10: Schumer won't call himself a matchmaker or a yenta. He's just there to give a helpful nudge.
2: When I see, you know, two single people who might be good for each other, I'm not the most subtle guy in the world, but I try as subtly and as gently as can. oh, she's nice, he's nice.
10: Megan and Josh Vlasto, married for three years, met in the senator's New York City office.
5: He never really, like, at- inquired until it was time where he thought that maybe we should be getting engaged. And it became, do you know what kind of ring you want? <laughs> do you need me to talk to Josh? And I said, no, thank you. Um... <laughs>
10: New York State Senator Daniel Squadron and his wife Liz are another Schumer-backed match. This was a proposal that the senator wanted to push through. Uh, I, I, think, I think he was hoping for passage. Yes. I think part of what he does is take something that's real and make sure it happens. You know, he's not, he's not sort of uh, looking at a map of, of his team and saying, OK, who, who's next? That's not what it is at all. It's When there's a connection, it, it's a really nice environment for it. Mm-hmm. Would you encourage single people to apply to work for <laughs> Senator Schumer? Uh, look, if, if uh, online dating isn't working for you, uh, this might That's be another,
2: another way to do it.
10: Schumer, it turns out, is an enthusiastic wedding guest.
2: They're great, happy, lovely, wonderful occasions. The one thing I try to do with all of them is, and it's relevant, uh, we play my favorite song. It's raining! It's raining men, hallelujah. Turn your umbrellas upside down, ladies. <laughs>
10: and naturally, after a Schumer marriage, come Schumer babies.
5: Everybody knows when you get married, like Chuck would like you to have a baby. Um, <laughs> that's just kind of common fact.
10: I would see him at political events in New York, and I would get it from him there. You know, just say, hey, Chuck, how are you doing? And
0: say, when are you having a
2: baby?
10: Do you know how many kids he'd like you to have?
5: I think as many as humanly possible.
10: Yeah. So far, there are 14 Schumer babies, as the senator calls them, including adorable Hello. Eddie Vlasto. Hello. In a sense, he co-sponsored your son.
6: Oh, boy. Oh,
10: boy. That's a
8: loaded
5: statement.
10: <laughs> no, We know it was just the two of you who actually made your son, no, just to I, be clear.
3: What I, what I,
10: what <laughs> yes. Elizabeth and Farrell Sklerov no. even have a dog. Schumer, give me paw. Schumer, up.
6: Lie down, Schumer. There's a a chuckle. I think most of the time people think we're kidding. Um, And then we explain to them, no, we actually met working
10: for chuck. And there was just one last thing to clear up. And will the public ever hear you sing It's Raining Men? Hope not.